Guys, I am honored to have with me today Acacia Lewis, the founder and teacher of the Divine Master Alchemy School for Entheogenic Cultural Literacy and Ethnobotanical Neuropathy. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with my audience today. Thanks. It's, it's naturopathy, actually. <laughs> Natural, naturopathy. <laughs> my bad. No worries. So what do you teach in simpler terms for people who don't know about this? Well, uh, cultural anthropology. So speaking about uh, different um, aspects of culture that have to deal with anthropology as it relates to entheogens like the region of the world where the people are working with a certain plant, their actual heritage and ethical, moral, artistic approach uh, to working with entheogens. And we basically what I do is I tell some of the stories that are associated with these plants and uh, with these cultures um, in a language that we can kind of understand from a Western viewpoint, medically speaking, and also like artistically speaking, okay, how is this affected a certain culture? Do they use it for songs? Do they use it for dance? Do they use it for divination? Do they use it for ritual? Do they use it for health? Uh, and then also cross paralleling that to other cultures who maybe do the same thing with a similar plant or a cousin of that plant. So you can get a well-rounded look at what something is. That's very cool. We need people who dig into that stuff because I feel like there's not a lot who are really, really interested in that. So that's very cool. So when did you first discover mushrooms and why did you decide to try it? I didn't decide to try it. Someone gave them to me. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And I was a teenager. So um, mm. it wasn't like the mainstream. Oh, magic mushrooms. No, it was um, really some of my friends wanting probably to help me out because I had symptoms of suicidal depression. I was basically, you know, recovering from a very bad relationship that I was in at the time and I needed some help and that was the form the help came in. <laughs> so yeah. Mm -hmm. Your friends were looking out for you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So can you explain, um, an experience you've had that has helped shape your life, you know, a trip experience? Hmm. Probably many. <laughs> All of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when you try to share some, your experience with other people, it's very difficult because they're expecting somehow that your experience will match up to theirs or looking to somehow uh, embody your experience. But everyone's experience is their own experience. I truly believe that um, the old adage, don't share your trip report, is something that's kind of important because I know that looking at some of my teachers and elders, I was looking to them for guidance in such a way that I thought that in order to be right or doing the right thing, I need to be doing exactly what they were doing. And that's mm. could be further from the truth, you know? Um, some of the lessons that I've received from my trips are really simple teachings but yet highly complex and something that if you don't learn it from experience, you might not pay attention to it at all. And that's something I really appreciate from the mushroom. Uh, first and foremost, be authentic and learn what is authenticity sans the modern Western dualistic view of reality, i.e. what you see on television what you see on the newspaper, what you see on social media, what you see even between you and your peers, 
is a filter through which we view reality. And making sure to clean that filter is a lesson, I would say, that was very important that came to me on the mushroom very early, which was to question everything and especially question what you think you like. Mm -hmm. Question who you think you like and why. Question what makes something beautiful, what makes something ugly. Question what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad. And most of all, ask why. Ask why as much as you possibly can. And a good answer is I don't know. And there's nothing wrong with I don't know. We're kind of taught as kids, if you don't know, that's bad. You need to... Either if you've been studying something and you say you don't know, then you haven't been studying it good enough. And that's not true. It's okay to be completely in the unknown and to embrace the mysterious aspects of reality rather than jumping to try to know something. Um, and I've also found that when we try too hard to know, we don't know. And that's kind of uh, the classic, those who know don't speak, those who speak don't know type analogy, you know, mm -hmm. the mushroom I experience see. really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of filters, that was the first, my first mushroom experience really showed me how much of a filter we have in our normal day to day lives, how our ego and everything around us constantly makes us think that life is more complicated than it is. My first trip really just showed me how simple everything is and how beautiful the world is. I don't know, like, I just saw things for how they really were with myself. And that led me to continue trying it. So That's really important to bring up. Um, what leads you to continue working with it? For me, when I first started on the mushroom, I would see things like mandalas juxtaposed on the floor and you know, I would see things I didn't understand, but I just thought were part of the experience. And, you know, later on, as I grew inside of, I will say, as I grew towards actually forming a practice and actually pay attention to what it was telling me and what I was learning and listening intently to it, I started realizing that oftentimes we're so caught up in what we are doing and what we find important that this false sense of self-importance cuts us off from the vast array of beauty that's everywhere around us. And yes. that's something that the mushroom accentuates, something that you thought was dull, that maybe you took for granted. Now when you take the mushroom, the mushroom accentuates those things around you that have always been there, but adds an accentuation a certain magical or spiritual energy that exists in those same objects. And through observing this, that's also inside of you. It helps you to learn about inner beauty and outer beauty. The more you cultivate inner beauty, the more your external reality becomes more beautiful. And I think that's where the simplicity, you know, is such a profound teaching. That yes, I don't hear people sure. talking about much, you know, like, oh, I don't really want to go there. Yeah, let, 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 <laughs> just, uh, let you continue that. Sure. Speaking of mandalas, I've actually seen on one of my last trips, I was looking at the ground outside and I did see a mandala pattern just moving through the ground. And I was like, confused. I've never seen that before. Mm -hmm. But that was interesting. Like, 
it really showed me that I can pour my energy and love towards things. You know, another thing that gets said a lot in this community is it's not all love and light. And I, I like to be the devil's advocate with that because it's what you focus on. You know, there's going to be some darker aspects to your reality that you cannot help but address. And at times we'll go in so deep that we may encounter warlike landscapes and warlike places. So the question is, even though, like, like you're saying, like we both agree that we felt this loving energy and interconnectedness towards all people, beings, etc. What about the flip side um, about the darker forces in reality and utilizing love and gratitude um, as kind of like a cleansing or purification tool or even as maybe a weapon to fight against negative aspects or negative energies that are very persistent? Um, not everything that you encounter on the mushroom is going to be easy. Um, nor is it going to be wrapped in a pretty container. Sometimes it's going to be scary or ugly or uncomfortable. And I think that in order to slice through the concept of duality, we have to give everything a chance to reveal itself or to be transmuted in a loving manner. Because even the Aztecs had deities uh, that were aspects of Teotl. Teotl was the impersonal great everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the male, the female, all of it at once. And the Tao, Taoists have the Tao, uh, which is a similar concept. Uh, the Wuji and the Taiji, the light and the dark, the, um, the empty, the vast expanse, and the action. And when we look deeper into the aspects of non-duality that come from the psilocybin mushroom, Something that's very important is to kind of escape the good and bad dichotomy and liberate ourselves towards reality. And reality is not always going to be something that we can label good or bad, but we can have gratitude for it that illuminates the finer divine qualities of that reality. And that gratitude is kind of the flashlight that I've, I feel illuminates the more pleasant aspects of what can even be sometimes dark and forlorn. Mm. Wow, that's a good point. <laughs> so can you explain um, some of the entities you have encountered on your different journeys? I can't explain them, sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Explaining sure. them is, is a little bit outside of my my expertise i can describe mm -hmm. some things i've seen sure yeah describe um i've seen beings that were very much appeared to be from a different place perhaps kind of humanoid in origin like two legs two arms but mm -hmm. clearly had a different language of communicating than most humans we encounter um, I think I told you about this when we talked the other day. Um, they were kind of shouting in vibrational energy. Like there was so much uh, high-powered energy coming off of them when they would kind of move their skin that would, that would kind of open up like pine cones. There would be light flooding out from those, uh, those openings that was so loud. It was like 
maybe a normal human encountering this might feel attacked. You know, mm-hmm. they have good intentions, but um, it was just like seeing rainbow light of color like coming out from under these scales that were like blinds to keep them from potentially maybe evaporating your whole body, like because just so much high powered energy. I think that we as humans, we are on a material frequency and wavelength. And sometimes when we encounter beings in the mushroom that are of a spiritual, higher vibrational energy, it can be kind of freaky, especially at first because they're telling us things that we know to be true. They might be communicating that we need to save our planet. We need to uh, stop littering. We need to stop throwing trash all the way. We need to start taking care of our forests. We need to start taking care of each other. Um, I've met entities that seemed uh, ethereal or cosmic, like cosmic aliens, if you will. You know, they could be here and just disguised as humans. I don't know. Uh, and yeah. I don't really care to try to figure that out. I encountered beings that were of legend which means like beings that you could research, like Google certain beings that I've met. And one of them, I was identified as Lord Narasimha. And it took me until meeting a pure devotee uh, who politely said it was Lord Narasimha's mercy that he revealed himself to you during your mushroom trip. And Mm. that was at this period in my life where I was just learning about Hinduism and I didn't know who Lord Narasimha was. I just started Googling lion-headed man with four arms. And boom, Lord Narasimha pops up. And he's a wrathful incarnation or wrathful form of uh, Lord Vishnu. Um, so these are names of Hindu deities. And some of them I call cloud kind of cosmic. Uh, I, this is actually what... Baba Kalindi, I believe he called them cosmic generals in one of his lectures. And for me, I feel like they're cosmic generals because I feel that the personality of our reality, <laughs> what is reality made up of? It's made of these molecules and atoms that are empty. And these atoms are said to have personalities below the plank plane, the subatomic particle realms, there are beings that are so incredibly ancient and intelligent and wise and loving, even inside of the light. We know that saying love and light is a good thing, but we don't like to address why is light such a good thing. And these ancient Vedic and Hindu books, like the science of self-realization, which isn't so ancient, um, it's rather newer, but the science of self-realization suggests that Krishna, for instance, is the personality of 144,000th of a molecule. And this divine personality, these divine characteristics of love and appreciation and healing and beauty and humility are inside of this light. All of what we love about our reality, love, honesty, vulnerability, that's all inside of the light, you know? And for me, that makes it even more important for me to uh, 
uh, cultivate that spiritual energy, that key energy, or that Kundalini energy, whatever it is that you call it. For me, when I, when I think about joy, when I think about happiness, that in itself is also divine or Krishna, or as my mother would say, Jesus Christ, uh, or, you know, some others would say, like the Aztecs would say, Tioto, uh, but there's a specific energy of love inside of that positive energy. And then there is the polarity to that, which is darkness, where there is no light. And if you go on the mushroom, you can go into the darkness until you realize there's no such thing as darkness. It's just less light. And because the contrast is so great, you have to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness until you finally hit one light particle, you know, but that's enough to take you out of the darkness because mm -hmm. it's infinite, even smaller and smaller and smaller. So there's no such thing as true darkness because there are still atoms and molecules under there that produce energy. And that energy is just very faint to the human eye. Like a mantis shrimp might be able to see you know, even in the dark, there's color, you know, mm -hmm. because he has more receptors in his eye to be able to see that. But to us, it just looks super black. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I always think about this, like how the human eye can only see a certain amount of things, mm -hmm. like certain range of colors. There's so much we can't see. And this is why when you're going to the, the spiritual realms or all this stuff, like, you know, people will think we're crazy for even <laughs> bringing up this stuff. But there's more to this reality than we realize. And sometimes your brain just needs a little little push to show you what is actually out there. Yeah, you know, for me, um, that's when astrophysics became less of a degree plan and more of a spiritual awakening. And that's when I started realizing that the things that I actually wanted to study were practical. They were things I needed to look at using a telescope. There are things inside of me. And that's kind of a scary concept for someone who's been prepared and groomed to be a scientist is to realize that the human body is this amazing laboratory with tons and tons of untapped uh, tools and research uh, equipment on board that 99.99% of people never receive a handbook on how to utilize. Mm -hmm. That's what we have Kriya Yoga for. That's what we have Devada Yoga. How do we use the human mind? We're still learning that. How do we use the human eyes? We're still learning that. Ears, touch, all five senses, and even the sixth sense, even the sense uh, of time or energy we're still very much trying to figure out how those things worked. And I, I really feel like the ancients, people who have 6,000 year head start on us, um, we should consider their observations about how the human mind and the human body work and function. Also given that when we take the mushroom, we see motifs that are directly tied to those cultures 
And that's why I think it's so important for us to study cultural anthropology so we understand the, the context in which mandalas are sacred, the context mm-hmm. in which different thankas uh, are used. Because if you really zero in on the context of which Tibetan sand mandalas are made, or even these schools that are kind of put on these mandala-like uh, posters, they're called yantras. And a yantra is a portal. And there's tantra, mantra, and yantra. Tantra is transformation on one level. I'm just oversimplifying this here. Mantra is word-based transformation or a sacred prayer. And yantra is the combination of tantra and mantra. And yantra is generally a symbol that is a powerful uh, portal or word of power like Om or, or even like a six-pointed star. Um, and these yantras are utilized to connect one with Devata Yoga or Deity Yoga many times, like Bhairavi or, or Bajra Yogini. You know, there are different symbols that you would meditate on that would take you to a different place consciously take you to an altered state of awareness through practice and meditation that would benefit you. And that's similar to what the mushroom naturally helps us to do. And that's why there are many books like the secret drugs of Buddhism book that talk about Indian and Tibetan and uh, I would say Asian and Asiatic forms of altered consciousness being linked to psychedelic and psychoactive substances. Mm. So to clear it up, you're saying that these are technically like portals for, you know, a sober mind to um, get into the spiritual realm without psychedelics? Let's go ahead and clarify something here. There's no such thing as a sober mind because our mind is DMT fueled. Every time we're breathing, right. every time we're sleeping and waking, we are in a chemical slurry all the time. Hormones, dopamine, oxytocin. Um, we're always on drugs. Sober <laughs> mind. It's just the extent to which our drug use uh, sanctifies normalcy that we consider mm-hmm. someone sober. Because when we right. look at someone who is autistic or uh, or has Down syndrome or another sort of mental disability, we immediately don't cl- classify them as sober. We immediately have to distinguish the uh, neurological condition that is promoting this uh, look of drunkenness or, or even inebriation in some cases. And most of us are not neurotypical. That's the truth. We don't know what typical really is yet. We try to achieve balance, but I think everyone in their 20s loses a lot of sleep. We know fatigue can cause uh, mental disturbances, depression, anxiety. So when we are taking the mushroom, it's orally active DMT. And so I'd say that you're more sober, if you will, when you have more DMT because you are able to, it's binding to the learning and memory receptors, the 5H2A receptor system, the serotonogenic system. And so you're literally sitting in school. You're in nature school. 
And I'd say that, that is the most sober state that you can really be in. Because now your heightened senses are allowing you to fully observe and get the full 360 degree picture of what is actually happening in your mind, your body, and your reality all at once. And the only reason we can't stay in that state is because of the fact that you really need to, to not be bombarded with things that your brain sees as useless all the time. Opening up your filter is only okay part of the time because otherwise you're going to get overloaded. And that's why a lot of us who have like maybe ADHD or autism, you know, it's kind of like we're always in a psychedelic state already. So it's very common for people who have ADHD to get overstimulated. It's very common for people who have dyslexia or autism to get overstimulated. As because the brain, in many cases, produces different varying types of DMT, even 5-MeO-DMT in certain uh, neurological, nor non-neurotypical cases. Melatonin can break down the 5-MeO-DMT. So for, for me personally, I feel that when I'm working with the sacred mushroom, it gives me a chance to truly sober up to what's actually going on mm -hmm. um, spiritually. Uh, when I say spiritually, I'm talking about different energies. Yeah, maybe we as humans just going to say, well, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means when he said this or she did this. Let me take the mushroom and meditate on the meaning of this, the true meaning of this. And then you can find, finally, finally, I guess you could say rummage like a, like a fine tooth comb through these happenings in your life and really separate the subtle details and allow the energies to reveal themselves, like drinking tea, like drinking wine even, allowing the subtle notes of your reality to be absorbed on your palate. Your palate of reality is so much more sensitive that now, rather than guessing, well, I guess this person doesn't mean me well, you're seeing aspects of this person's life that now you are empathically tapped into. So now you understand without a shadow of a doubt what the meaning of an action or a saying or a behavior really was rather than trying to ask and think based on your own human experience, what's going on in their human experience. Now you're seeing their human experience quantumly as a connection between your brain neurologically and their neurons firing, what's actually going on in their head? And that's something that is beneficial, but also dangerous if used improperly. Hmm. Because then the privacy that another person should have is violated. So don't go doing that about just a bunch of random people. But for people in your life that maybe you're trying to help, and your mother who's depressed or your father who lost his job, Stepping into that person's uh, uh, energy by being em empathetic to them can be a really good way of gaining a deeper understanding rather than criticizing something that you don't understand, maybe becoming a, a more compassionate observer to that person's condition is what I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. Not to sit there and judge them because they're going through something, but to compassionately, without judgment, observe what they're going through and then make a better decision about how you should conduct yourself around that person. Mm, I've definitely had a, a similar experience when, you know, a family member was going through something when I was on 
mushrooms it really made me connect to them like empathize with them so much and send my healing energy towards them I don't, it was an unreal experience but let's just say their condition went away after that which was really cool um, that, that's really I want you to give yourself some credit in doing that I mean if you go to church and people lay hands on you they're gonna say oh my god the healing worked God, God came through and, and made a miracle happen way out of no way. But when we are doing our psychedelic work and we're sending healing energy towards people, we just like to play it off like it's a happy accident. And it's not. It takes work. And what you did mm -hmm. is helpful, you know, and it's mm -hmm. something I would ask if I'm sick. Hey, can people in the community kind of rally around, send me some positive energy while I'm trying to beat mm -hmm. this sickness? Or, and it's worked. You know, and I could tell it was working, that there were people who were compassionately uh, coming into my field and helping me to grind through and transmute physically some of this illness. And it's happened to me, and it's happened so many times, that I cannot refute it as being a part of my human experience. Wow. Yeah, energy is so real. Do you believe that the, the sacred mushrooms are messengers um either like to other dimensions or you know through an energetic field i think that we're going to need a new model for quantum reality a model that is based on mycelium a model that is based on the concept that just like mycelium can listen and send nutrients, so such can the quantum aspects of the human mind for everything it's touched, for everything it's seen, for everything it's thought of. For all of our shared experiences, we share awareness, and that awareness uh, is an exchange of consciousness. And when we do that, we start making the impossible possible, like sending a thought from my end to your end of the universe. You know, on the mushroom, if I'm on five grams and you're on five grams and we're in two different states, if we're able to attune ourselves to each other's vibration, then we should be able to have a conversation in that space and then come back into this reality and then speak about it very normally because this is the quantum entanglement that we've created by sending thought forms towards each other and pulling uh, pulling those energies into our, into our cosmic space, into our uh, conscious space. And this is something that Baba Kalindi E proposed with the Transdimensional Crystal Project is that someone in New York and someone in Maryland could eat 15 grams on a Saturday night and potentially go the same places together, even mm -hmm. if they weren't in the same home. And that's something that has been repeatedly tested and tried, and it can, it's something that works. Of course, you got to be very cautious about just doing that with anybody because just like you can see someone, the quantum con connection is so such that, say, they're going through something in their life, you're going to see it. You're going to see the kind of spiritual attack they're under or the kind of spiritual pain they're in. And you have to mm -hmm. be ready to uh, either step up and assist that person or say, okay, well, I'm just not ready for this and walk away, you know? Um, 
And so it can put you in a position of vulnerability if you do it with someone that you don't know very well. So I don't recommend this with people who aren't loose friends. But mm. if you are friends and you're going in with the intention of helping one another, you could potentially get work done on a higher level, a higher level as in uh, spiritual healing and psychological healing between two individuals that is very, that mimics that of which someone in Mexico holding a velada or ceremony, uh, somebody who is doing mushrooms with you is experiencing symbiotically when you're on mushrooms and she's on mushrooms like Maria Sabina. And when we look at the, the mushroom velada of Oaxaca, Mexico, um, you have to take into consideration that divine intervention is an aspect of sacred mushroom ceremony. When Maria Sabina was calling on the names of different saints and Mother Mary in her mushroom ceremony, who are we to say that she was not literally asking them for assistance and receiving assistance when she asked for her hands to be blessed, for her heart to be blessed? You know, saying that I am the airline woman, the woman who flies, I am the woman who sees, I am the time woman. These are things that she would say oftentimes in her bladders or ceremonies. And we leave those things up to interpretation. But from another psychonaut's perspective, when I am affirming what I am, in that moment I am transforming into that which I said I am. In that split second, I become the time woman. In that split second, I become the woman who sees. In that split second, I am shifting my perspective and shifting my awareness quantumly so that I can accurately receive the information from source that gives me the answer to be able to help the person who I'm asking on behalf of. And we can do that for ourselves. That's, that's what Devata Yoga is really about on some level, is transforming into these wrathful protector forms or peaceful Buddha forms to remind ourselves that they are within us. They're not external concepts. We can transform ourselves with mindfulness into these forms that do exist and don't exist. When we transform into these forms, we're connected to everything and nothing at the same time. That's why they're non-dual. There's a saying that says, the people in India have hundreds of gods, all of which they believe to have physical forms. And the people in Tibet have thousands of gods, none of which exist at all. And the idea hmm. is that you're creating these gods with thought form as divine examples for you to embody. And by embodying these qualities and pulling these forms closer to you, you become slowly more and more purified, more and more powerful, and ultimately more and more divine. Because you remember that there's no separation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking uh, of that, um, I recently talked to a very spiritual guy and I was talking about how I met an entity um, who had a mushroom head and he said how there are some of the entities, actually, remember how you said the pine cone? Like from the, you said was, from the skin it was a pine cone? He said a lot of the heads are pine cones and they can actually open and change shape. I was like, what? And so I asked him, you know, what the mushroom head means. And he said it was, you know, me connecting to the spirit of the mushroom. And it was showing me that I'm more connected to it. Now, that really 
shook me. <laughs> that there's, well, it's so true, yeah. you know. The mushroom is considered tionanacto or flesh of God. And when you eat the mushroom, it's said that you're eating the sacred blood flowers of Quetzalcoatl. And Quetzalcoatl is the plumed, feathered serpent deity. And this is not an external deity, just like in Devata Yoga. This is something that is is you and that becomes you when you go through the ceremony of the deified heart, when you conquer fear, when you clean up your disorganized life, you have the option to be able to utilize this sacred form of rapidly shape-shifting kundalini energy that is symbolized by the plumed feathered serpent. And it's the diamond jeweled plumed feathered serpent. It's one of the most beautiful things that you can imagine. That looks very much like the kundalini shape energy, but it, it combines the aspect of the kitzel bird and the kuwatl, which is the serpent. And these are two principles, the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the brain that are working in concept as one. And that's when you transcend your physical body, like the literal embodiment of dynamic energy and motion where you can transmute, you know, negative energy into positive energy simply by, like as Tom Lane so aptly put it, it's like by eating it, you know, you, you eat these <laughs> entities that look all mean and hateful and then they come out of you on the other side looking angelic and beautiful. It's like a metronome and you just mm. convert that energy. You know? Yeah. And I think it's very interesting how, like, I know there's more entities out there. I mean, they all come in different, you know, they all look different and have probably have different messages. But I also wanted to touch on extraterrestrials that I've also seen in my trip experiences and how they have sent messages to me about, you know, how you said how the world, the pollution, how the world's going. And I wanted to ask if you believe that, you know, sacred mushrooms are actually not from here. I don't think they're from here. Yeah. Um, just because they have a lot of knowledge about places that are not here. Um, I think that maybe uh, they're put here for us to remember where we come from. And I think the truth is that the human race is much older than how it evolved on this planet. And what we consider to be human is an amalgamation of many different races of being, you know, some from this planet, maybe some not so from this planet or dimension. And I think that the mushroom opens our minds to show us that, yeah, we have brothers and sisters in other dimensions and other planets, like in James Matthew's book, uh, Aztec Philosophy from the University of Maryland. Um, you know, you've got the OTH or the non-human other uh, that are addressed in Aztec philosophy that are described in pictographs. Some have green skin, some have faces like skulls, some have faces that look like ours in different colors and shades, but they're not from this planet. And I really believe that uh, ancient civilizations, especially civilizations that would build pyramids, um, were in contact with other worlds and considered themselves very much interdimensional or intergalactic civilizations. Because if, if they're bringing back information uh, from another dimension, what makes you think that they're not also bringing back information from a whole other world? You know, mm -hmm. um, if we're if we're going to agree that they're taking mushrooms like the Egyptians with the 
Tamarian mushroom or, or the, the blue mushroom of the Nile that was used by the priests of ancient Kemet, or if you're talking about the mushroom that was used in India or in Bali or in Cambodia, you know, there these pyramids all have different features in common between the Aztec, the, the Cambodian, and the Egyptian, and also the Chinese pyramids. And if we eat the mushrooms on top of a pyramid, we understand that the resonant energy opens portals to other dimensions. And I truly believe that after smoking DMT on a, one such pyramid that was in a deep forest in Oaxaca myself, that they were utilized to communicate with not only other civilizations, but other worlds. And these higher points were points where the energy was not dense and clogged. And so it was a good signal. Just like we would walk to the top of a hill to get a good cell phone connection, I truly believe that the ancients were probably walking to the top of pyramids to get a good reception spiritually to telepathically communicate with these other uh, dimensions and civilizations. Wow, that's very cool. Um, there's like a lot of theories that humans did not build these pyramids. Um, you know, it does confuse me. Like, how did they know that these locations, or was it just because, you know, it was a higher point or was it the certain location that allowed them to have a better reception? Well, I don't think the... that aliens built the pyramids. Now, I do believe that human beings uh, downloaded the codes to be able to build pyramids on the planet. Um, and personally, like for me, like I, I'm, I'm content with the, with the alchemy aspect of it. They learned how to utilize different materials in conjunctions with each other. But if you read certain Buddhist mystic texts, it does talk about certain sound frequencies being utilized to vibrate or levitate stones to certain locations, specifically Tibetan horns. And mm. for me personally, I don't think that the technologies that we are currently utilizing, I think those are less enhanced technologies than what was available at a certain point in time. I just think that, you know, maybe the evidence for those things was buried or purposefully lost. You know, uh, can you imagine seeing a whole group of people blowing horns and levitating giant, you know, 10 foot by five foot rocks, you know, into the air, you know, in the wrong hands, it could really hurt someone. So um, that's true. Personally, I, I don't think that the aliens built the pyramids, but I do believe that ancient metaphysicians or priests or shaman, however you want to call it, probably were eating mushrooms and seeing pyramids on the other side. And when you go in a higher dose of mushrooms, there are pyramid-shaped dimensions that are hyperdimensional like tesseract type spaces where you get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to the dodecahedron type uh, visuals even inside of the pyramid and I believe that 
eating the mushroom, you want to go to the subparticle of the subparticle of the subparticle. You're going to finally get down to super servers that generate this reality. And I think that those are pyramid shapes. So they're trying to build that in this reality and how it corresponds to the constellations to show there are people that no matter how small or how big you get, as above, so below. The infraparticle structures mimic the external uh, 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 constellations, even in the stars, even in our skin, uh, even down to uh, the, the way that they weave their clothing, that these are patterns. And to show the symbology of those patterns is to preserve the history and legacy of the ancient psychonauts. So my mind is just getting blown today. <laughs> I, I, you know, and uh, take everything that I say with a grain of salt, because I'll tell you, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know. I'm exploring this. These mm -hmm. are the conclusions that I am still analyzing very much. So and these are things I just like to think about on the mushroom and things that feel right you know um yeah the proof may come out hundreds of thousands of years from now but for now this is what my trips are like and you know if you can relate great if you can't relate then it's not for you so mm -hmm. yeah well it's very cool that you you know i feel like there's a reason you're very interested in this and there's a reason it shows you these things or you know sends you some types of messages for you to interpret yourself. So I also wanted to ask, have you seen any proof that mushrooms might not be from here in your reality? Well, for starters, you know, mushrooms can survive in a vacuum of space. And I really do feel that um, this is not the first time that you know, we've been on a rock <laughs> that has had different asteroids and meteors and comets and stuff crashing into it. Um, I think that's the nature of the cosmos, really. And the mushroom spirit is so old that it suggests that it really probably is a visitor that was able to find a fertile area. And also another thing is you really find mushrooms a lot more near the coastal areas of places uh, and places that used to be underwater, like Texas, 6.8 million years ago was just underwater. You know, there's there's fossils of plesiosaurs and, you know, so how are, how are you going to explain how mushrooms just popped up? You know, um, were they hiding inside of a deep sea underwater rocks or the spores travel from hundreds of thousand miles away and just so happened to land, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, there's, there's so many concepts. I think that they've migrated around the planet several billion times. And um, that it's, it's, it's very possible that fragments of other stars that uh, came together to build this planet, that this, this place was inoculated perhaps even purposefully with this intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I say it's open for consideration. I haven't seen any scientific proof, but at the same time, science is always changing and they're always learning new things. I think that if we were to really search for the proof, um, you know, they might be surprised, but it's going to be very difficult to prove at this point in time because uh, you would have to trace 
the genetics to another known planet. And since we've never been to another exoplanet, like physically, it's going to be almost mm-hmm. impossible to trace it to another species that exists somewhere else. Right. I was uh, actually reading a lot about this stuff because I'm very curious. <laughs> but I read how um, mushrooms could potentially have been brought here, you know, been been an alien technology of some sort to help, you know, build relationships with humans or like to establish relationships um, with you. I don't know how, I mean, yes, I know mushrooms recycle the earth and I feel like that's the only reason, you know, our ecosystem is alive. You know, mycelium, um, if we didn't have mycelium, we probably wouldn't oh. have anything. Well, psilocybin is a defense mechanism. We have to keep in context that the entire reason that scientists pretty much think the mushroom creates psilocybin was to keep predators from eating it and um, you know you're taking something that literally kills you and then teaches you uh, after you eat it you know it's like (laughs) don't do that again you know and um, I think that we're really lucky to be communicating with it in such a way that we can form a friendship and a bond with it uh, something that, you know, most animals would probably consider poisonous. Like I probably shouldn't be eating mm-hmm. this all the time. And that's a good thing. And I think that in our culture, trying to cover it up in chocolate and put it in candy bars, sure, that's cute. But at the same time, we should still be respecting it as something that does not need to be taken all the time. Um, you know, something that we can integrate into our lives maybe once a week or once in a month or hopefully maybe eight times in a year at a high dose, uh, at max, you know, maybe even four times a year would be even more appropriate. But, you know, ultimately that this is something that in the wild, when it's there, it was food. And so we should also continue to treat it as such, rather than a commodity that is the latest high. It's something that was utilized as an indigenous tool for communicating with other forms of life, whether that's plant life or animal life or human life or extra human, extraterrestrial life, you know? Um, And I think that as long as we keep it an open exploration tool and don't try to monetize or brand or basically capture its glory and reduce it to a psychoactive drug, I think that we're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yes. Have you um, been communicated to by extraterrestrials through your um, experiences, your trip experiences? I don't even know what I would consider to be extraterrestrial because, Mm. I mean, that insinuates us from the ocean. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, me personally, like I have different beings that, uh, that have approached me, you know, and I, I I think about them being from different dimensions, more than different planets. Um, Mm. but that's just, you know, that's the, that's the way that I would regard it. But yes, I, I, I have spoken with many different beings and entities, most of which are beings that are dead from here, (laughs) ancestors, mostly. But um, ancestral work is what I feel like the mushroom is really 
meant for because it's talked about in myth and legend as being, you know, one of the, the keys to the underworld, essentially. And I feel that, you know, there are many different beings that probably travel in and out of the underworld as well. And, Mm -hmm. but I can't confirm if they're from a different uh, planet. I know a lot of people have have met some beings they think they call are Lemurian or Atlantean. And personally, I think that the really smart beings made themselves really small. Mm -hmm. And uh, the smaller you get, the more space you have and the smaller you get, the less of a, the less of a bad imprint you can leave. And basically you're immortal at that point because your civilization can stand, you know, the test of time many thousands of times over because nothing's small enough to get to you unless it's on mushroom, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I got lots of ideas. um, But yeah. So how do you know that, the entities are your like some of them are your ancestors if they come through do they they communicate that by themselves and it's obvious they look just like they did like let's take you and then put some transparency on you like 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 photo editing there boom that's Mm. you on the other side you talk the same you walk the same uh when you die you just keep walking the same particles that make up your body you're 99 empty space that 1% that's not space is energy and motion that contains information about you. And that continues to live on. You know, I've, I've seen my wife who died just last year. You know, um, we were married for seven years and we work with the mushroom for years together. And I communicate with her on the mushroom. And also uh, one of my friends and teachers, Baba Kalindi E, I've seen him on the mushroom. Many other people have as well. And, you know, uh, dealing with my grandparents, I remember one time I was listening to a song trying to go to a concert of a dead guy, you know, Nusrat Fateh Fialah, you know, he's one of my favorite musicians, and I took mushrooms and listened to his music. And sure enough, I could hear him singing on the other side and see him like I was sitting in front of him right now. And then my granddad decided to come with me. And basically, uh, you know, he was sitting there like, man, this guy can sing. I'm like, oh, my God, you're being embarrassing, Grandpa. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you can take your ancestors on vacation over there. You can take them to better places than just this reality. You can take them to higher dimensional realms. You can, you know, do do different ceremonies for them where you, you know, help them to reintegrate from their life in this reality and move on and they'll say things to you that you couldn't even imagine that you couldn't make up in your mind if you tried it's just organic and wisdom that came from them and you can identify it as being what they knew in this reality wow Mm -hmm. do they come to you when they want to or do you call onto them and try to bring them in um well it depends on what kind of work you're doing if you're trying to call the ancestors in um you know, it, it, there are ceremonies that are purposefully for that uh, in Africa and in Mexico and in India, you know, where you give offerings of things that they would have liked in this reality. You know, you give them some beer or some cigarettes and put that on your altar and you light a candle and you have your their picture there. You're just basically rolling off the red carpet for them and making them feel welcome and special, you know, and let mm-hmm. them know that you're thinking about them and that you want to talk 
And generally you start the conversation by gazing into their picture. And then when you're on the mushroom, the picture becomes animated and they walk out into the room. Wow. So we're talking about high doses, right? Not like, really. I mean, we're talking no? about, I mean, once you, once you establish a communication and they're not nervous about communicating with you, like probably five grams or six grams you could do this on. Um, I mean, I guess that might be a high dose to some people, but personally, like you can do it on 15 grams, but I've done it on much, much, much lower doses, even a microdose. I, I can do it without mushrooms. You know, it's just establishing that communication and making your voice quiet enough so you can hear them. And uh, it's really about silencing your mind so that you can be receptive to them speaking to you. You just poured so much amazing knowledge onto me and my listeners. Wow, this was amazing. Like, my mind is exploded right now. So where can people find your your school? I will say for the school, I'm no longer teaching online. I'm only teaching in person. And you can learn things like, you know, some altar work. You can learn some incense making, hopefully, uh, in another two years or so, we'll offer real tea ceremony, different lineages of, of tea purveyors. And for now, I'm going to continue teaching in person uh, about just specific plants. I have about 50 plants that I work with mm. and I know very well and have good relationships with. And sharing the stories about them is one of my passions. And uh, how, do you, how to get the most out of utilizing them and integrating them into your life for wisdom or knowledge or memory or understanding. So you can contact me on Instagram at A-C-A-C-E-A underscore L-E-W-I-S. Awesome. And I will put that in the description for you guys to check that out. I appreciate you so much for taking the time today. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.